Our second message this afternoon is from Mr. Stephen Andrews. It is entitled, Flee Idolatry. Steve. Greetings, brethren. You know, I've always heard, but I've never done it, that the Bible is separated in three distinct areas. History, prophecy, and Christian living. Now, I haven't torn the Bible apart enough to know that, you know whether that's true or not, but we do understand that the Bible is filled with many things for each and every one of us individually. And it's also filled with things for nations, if they would listen. It's filled with encouragement. It's filled with hope. It's filled with joy because of the future that it talks about. Tremendous prophecies, both that have come to pass and that are soon to come to pass, maybe in our lifetime or in our children's lifetime. One of the things, though, that always stands out in the Bible is the warnings. There are a lot of warnings in the Bible that stand out and shout out that we should pay attention to that we should heed those warnings. In Proverbs, the sixth chapter, just as an example, just to start this off, God has a very strong warning in here that we should heed. Proverbs 6 and verse 16, beginning verse 16, these thing, six things does the Lord hate. Now, shouldn't we pay attention to that if, if God hates it? I mean, that's a warning, isn't it? These six things God hates. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. So we have six things and seven that he hates and has an abomination. Just These are very loathsome to him. He says, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that are swift running to mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, and he that sows discord among brethren. The Bible is filled with those particular types of warnings for us that we should take heed to and we should listen to. Another ancient warning that was given by the prophet, uh, the apostle Paul, is found in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. And just one verse, and yet we want to cover more verses here, but I want to just read 
this part in verse 14. He says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. But what led up to that? What was the context that led up to Paul's statement that he says to flee idolatry? Well, we can go back to verse 1 of chapter 10, and we can see where Paul was leading this thought, where he came up with this last this statement here. This is not the final statement in the, in the that he's made, but this is the culmination of the thoughts that he was bringing forth. He says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and the sea. And all did eat the same spiritual meat, did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. This is a warning to all generations who pick this book up and read it and understand what happened in the wilderness. Those adults that came out of Egypt by those mighty miracles fell to their death before they reached the promised land. He says, now these things were our example to the intent we should not lust after the evil things as they also lusted. Neither be you idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of the serpents. Neither murmur you, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. One warning after another. Paul is warning these Corinthians to go back and to look at what happened to these chosen people that God had, and yet they were also chastised by God because of their idolatry, of their fornications, of the various things that they, they did in the wilderness that displeased God. He says, Now all these happened unto them for examples, and they were written for our admonition of whom the ends of the world are come. So down through the ages, from Paul's time, these are examples for us, for our day and age, that we might learn the lessons of those people who died in the wilderness, of the various things that we read in the Bible, of all the different things that are lessons for us and warnings to us. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. Now, it's always interesting. We go to this one verse, and it's a tremendous encouragement for all of us who struggle in this life. He says, there's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with that temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. 
And we are comforted by that. But he doesn't stop there because he goes on to say, Wherefore, my, my dearly beloved, he reaches out to them and says, Flee from idolatry. These Gentiles were living at a time in which there was <laughs> idols everywhere. And idolatry was a part of the way of life. And so Paul was warning them that God is not pleased because that is something that is totally against him. You are putting something in place of God, an idol. You are making that a God when you put something in place of the living God. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, we see Jesus making these comments about the commandments that God has given us. He says, think not that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. He says, I'm not come, I have not come to destroy but to fulfill. In other words, to fill it up, to make it even more binding, more important for us. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least of the commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoso shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus making it plain that the law of God is an important part of our makeup, of our Christian life, of our walk in this life. Let's turn to Exodus 20th chapter and let's look at just the two verses that talk about idolatry. Because you have to include those two verses he says in verse 2, I am the Lord your God which has brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. God had that power to relieve his people from the bondage that they were in. And in fact, it was prophesied that they would be relief after 400 years. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. It doesn't make any difference. You shall not put anything else before me. And you shall not make unto you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that in earth beneath or that in water under the earth. You shall not bow down yourself to them nor serve them, for I am the Lord your God and a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation to them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments.
a part of not being a, an idolater is having a love for God and putting him above all other things. If we forget that and we go the way that the world goes, then we become a part of the idolatrous world that we live in. David understood something very, very profound about, about God, that all sin is against him. In Psalms, the 51st chapter, he had sinned, and he had that revealed to him, and he made this comment in Psalms 51, let me get there, in verse 4, he says, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. David was the chosen king of Israel. God had him anointed after he had rejected Saul as the king of Israel. David was given anything and everything that he wanted. In fact, he was a, a great warrior and even a, a great man as far as his worship of God. But he was a man and he took his responsibility as a leader as one that was supposed to, to bring them to God and he ruined that by doing what he did which, to, which was to commit adultery with Bathsheba and to have her husband killed on the front lines and he understood that after he was told in a very poignant way what he did he fasted, he prayed, and he lost the, the child that they were going to have. And he understood that he had committed a grave sin against you. You only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you might be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge. All sin essentially points back to idolatry because in some way if you sin you are not worshiping God you are either taking that responsibility on yourself or you're listening to someone else as to what is right and what is wrong in the Garden of Eden Eve listened to another being and sinned. She committed idolatry, didn't she? Because she did not believe the God who had created her. She did not believe the things that were told her about the Garden of Eden that tree that was there, and what she could and could not do. It's interesting in uh, God sometimes even when it's a very serious thing, he'll give a, a humorous account 
of a particular incident. When it comes to idolatry and making idols, one of those humorous areas is Isaiah, the 40, 44th chapter. Every time I read it, I think of God's, no, he's upset, he's angry, and he sees men doing such foolishness. It's foolish to do what we do. We're going to talk about modern idolatry. We have a lot of modern idolatry. And sometimes we don't think about the world we live in. But we don't have a choice, do we? Our parents have already made that choice when we're born into this world. So whatever age we're born into, we have to live in that age. But when we're called out, as we are here, we have to make choices. We have to understand the choices that God has given us, the commandments that he's given us, the avoidance that we need to, to make of those things that displease God. In, 40, in, in Isaiah 44, it's very interesting. Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord that made you and formed you from the womb, which will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water upon on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your seed and my blessing upon your offering. And I will, and they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows in the watercourses. One shall say, I am the Lord's, and another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. Another subs shall subscribe with his hand, and the Lord shall name himself by the name of Israel. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And who, as I, shall call, as I shall call and shall declare it, and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. Fear you not, neither be afraid. Have not I told you from that time, and have declared it, you are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. That they that make a graven image are all of them vanity, and their de delectable things shall not profit. And they are their own witnesses. They see not, nor know that they may be ashamed. Who has formed a God, or molten a graven image, that is profitable for nothing? No, he looks at man, and he sees man doing these stupid things. And he, you know, muses over man's idiocy. We go to all lengths to carve, to mold, to put together things that we can make as idols, and we ignore the God, the creator of all the universe. And he goes through these various things here that men do in foolishness to make an idol that are not real. 
and yet they will bow down to them. And there's one church we won't mention, but they're filled with these idols of all different kinds. And you can worship each one of these individuals every day of the year. And you can have a little idol to carry around with you from this particular individual on that day. And he's supposed to help you in some particular way. Men are foolish. And God sees that foolishness. And says he hates that foolishness. Behold, all his fellows shall be ashamed, and the workmen, they are of men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up. Yet they shall fear, and they shall be ashamed together. The blacksmith with the tongs both works in the coals and fashions it with hammers and works it with strength of his arms. Yea, he's hungry, and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. He's so interested in making his idol, he's not even going to eat. He's just going to keep pounding away, pounding away, making this idol until it's finished. This foolishness that he's going through. The carpenter stretches out his rule. He makes it out with a line. He fits it with planes. He makes it out with a compass and makes it after the figure of a man according to the beauty of the man that it may remain in the house. Let's put it up on the mantle so we can worship it. Let's bow down to it because it's our idol. He hews them down cedars and takes the cypress and the oak which he strengthens for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants an ash and the rain does nourish it. Then shall it be for a man to burn for he will take thereof and warm himself. Yea, he kindles it and bakes bread and yet he makes a god and worships it. Do you see the foolishness in that? He, he, he cuts down the tree, he uses it for firewood, he uses it to bake with, and he carves a god out of it. <laughs> and see, you can see that God sees this foolishness. He burns part thereof in the fire. With part thereof he eats flesh. He roasts roasts. He satisfies, yea, he warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the residue thereof he makes a god, even his graven image. He falls down unto it and worships it and prays unto it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. In a way... God sees the humor in it, and yet he's sad that men stoop to such perverseness that they are willing to carve out, to make idols, to make images, and call it God to save them when they can discover the true God out of God's word. They have, not nor, they have not known nor understand, for he has shut their eyes that they cannot see, and their hearts that they cannot understand. And under, considers in his heart, neither is their knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned part of it in the fire, 
also I have baked bread upon the coals thereof, and I have roasted flesh and eaten it, and I shall make the residue thereof an abomination. Shall I fall down the stalk of a tree? He feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside that he cannot deliver his soul. Nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You shall not be forgotten of me. I have blotted out as a thick cloud your transgressions, and as a cloud your sins return unto me, and I have redeemed you. It's interesting, he goes through all this, and of course, one of the greatest sins that Israel had was their idolatry. We're going to get into that here in just a minute. I wanted to finish this part. But all of this came down to them rejecting God for molten images. But God, in his heart, loved his people as he loves us and wants us not to go to idolatry and the things that <clears throat> can separate us from him. Sing, O you heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth unto singing, you mountains. O forest and every tree therein, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and he that formed you from the womb, I am the Lord that makes all things. I am the Lord that makes all things. Not that idol you just carved out and bowing down to. The stretches forth the heavens alone, that spreads abroad the earth by myself, that frustrates the tokens of the liars and makes diviners mad, that turns wise men backward and makes their knowledge foolish, that confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers, that says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited, and to the cities of Judah, you shall be built, and I will raise up the decayed places thereof. That says the deep, be dry, and I will be dry, the, thy rivers. That says of Cyprus, he is my shepherd, shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. Someday Christ will return, and Jerusalem and the temple and those things that are sacred to God will be set up. Man will worship the true God, or they will not exist. They will not exist. We've read this many times, but it's so pertinent to our society that we live in today. God's wisdom, he probably looked down into this society, and he says, Paul, I want you to write to those Romans about what's going to happen in that day when men become very technical. <laughs> they have great science. They do many wonderful things, but they reject me totally. 
as a whole, mankind, except for a very few, reject God as God. He says, for the wrath of God, Romans 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Some men who have looked into creation have realized that what they were taught was absolutely, totally and completely false. And they've had to rethink and look at their, what they have believed. And men of science now, through the intelligent design and many different, th many different areas, have had to embrace the fact that there is a designer, there is a creator, there is someone that's sustaining this universe. It's not been an easy road for them. But they have to, and they haven't acknowledged this book for the most part. Some of them have, but not all of them. But they understand that there's something else besides evolution that has created mankind and the complexity of this world. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart, foolish heart were darkened. We have now um, many of these um, atheist evolutionists writing very profane books about the Creator. Maybe they don't understand the God of, that we understand, but any God, they are writing profane books, blasphemous books about God and about a Creator. And they are going to be judged in the kingdom probably very harshly for what they have done. And some of them are very smug and very haughty about what they, what they say. And they, they draw audiences because they are very articulate in their words. But someday they are going to have to go before God and they're going to have to confess that they knew not what they were speaking of. Their ignorance was great and is great. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And I, every time I listen to one of them, I know that they are fools. Changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like, unto, uh, like to corruptible man and, his, and to birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And pond scum. I might as well add that today because that's where they think we came from. Wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their bodies between themselves. And we see that today. They've totally rejected God in this nation and around the world. And now the perverseness is beginning to, to, 
invade all walks of life. It's creeping in everywhere. Wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Change the truth of God into a lie. Worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. As I said, the Bible also is filled with history. and There's a lot of interesting and profound examples in the Bible about idolatry. And what happens to a nation when they go wholly into idolatry? In Deuteronomy, the 17th chapter, God gave some instructions. Well, I've read this many times before, but I, it's always pertinent to, to our to understanding what happened to the nation of Israel, why they went into the things they went into, how they became so, so perverted, and why God finally ended up having to chase them out of his, his land. In verse 14 it says, When you come into the land which the Lord your God gives you, this is uh, chapter 17, verse 14, and shall possess it, and shall dwell therein, and shall say, I will set a king over me like as all the nations that are about me. You shall in any wise set him king over you, whom the Lord your God shall choose. One from among your brethren shall you set king over you. You mayest not set a stranger over you, which is not your brother. You know, I'm, I'm wondering if that's not where um, our Constitution got the idea of, of making sure that that one that takes the position is a natural-born citizen of this, of this United States. God made it plain that you weren't going to go out and pick up a Canaanite and make him king over you. That's not what was going to happen. But he understood even though you chose this man, certain things are going to happen. He said, he shall not multiply horses to himself nor cause the people to return to Egypt. Now these are the things he says you're not supposed to do, but when we read the scriptures we find out they did the opposite. To the end that he should multiply horses for as much as the Lord has said unto you shall henceforth return no more to that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And it shall be when he sits upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this, book, this law in a book out of which is before the priests and Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of the law, these statutes, and do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. 
it's almost like a prophecy. It was a prophecy. God could look down and see what was going to transpire in, in Israel. He knew what, uh, that if they set up a king over them like the nations, that that king was probably going to be corrupted. In 1 Kings, the 11th chapter, we find a man who was extremely blessed beyond all blessing. A man who was given tremendous wisdom, whose ability to see through things, um, to, to make wise decisions for the nation was unparalleled up to the time that Jesus came to, to walk on the earth. That man, of course, was Solomon. And it's interesting, with all that wealth and with all that he had, all the power that he had, and understanding in, in the presence of God, he failed in the latter part of his life. King Solomon loved many strange women. Verse 1, chapter 11. Many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go into them, neither shall they come unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon cleaved unto these in love. He was smitten by these women. He was willing to do anything for these women. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned his heart. His wives turned away his heart. Turned away his heart from God. Turned away his heart from logic. From wisdom. Because of all this idolatry. He said, For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the abomination of the children of Ammon, Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. Remember, these are not gods. They're just images and molten this and molten that. And they bowed down to them. And Solomon went along with it and built them places for them to worship this stuff. Understand that God was angry with Solomon for this idolatry. It says the Lord was angry with him because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared in him twice. 
And it commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done to you, you have not kept my commandment and my statutes which I have commanded you. I will surely rend the kingdom from you, and I will give it to your servant. Notwithstanding in thy, in thy days, I will do, not do it for David your father's sake, but I will rend it out of your hand, out of the hand of your son. And so he goes on and says that this is what is going to happen because of Solomon's idolatry, his sin. Well, that led to Jeroboam and Rehoboam, Rehoboam being Solomon's son, and Jeroboam being a servant, taking the kingdom over and splitting it from the north and to the south. And Jeroboam was so perverse, so perverse. Let's read about him. First of all, Rehoboam was going to take over the kingdom, and God told him, no, you can't do that because I've already said this is what's going to happen, and you can't go and do that. You're not going to have civil war, although later on they did. They had civil war with one another. Then Jeroboam, verse 25 of chapter um, 12, built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein, and went out from thence and built Peniel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David? If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord of Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto the Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me, and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. What foolish, weird reasoning this man had. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. O foolish Israel, how did they follow this man? There was only two tribes that ended up, and then of course the Levites couldn't stand it, and they went back down to the northern tribe back to Jerusalem. But these people, there was no telling how many were in those northern tribes that went along with Jeroboam, that believed those golden calves were their gods set up in two places. And he set one in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this became a sin for the people went to worship before the one even unto Dan. And he made a house of high places and made priests of the lowest of people which were not of the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam attained a feast ordained a feast in the eighth month on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah, and he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart. 
and ordained a feast to the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. And it gets worse because there never was a good king in Israel. Time after time they followed Jeroboam's idolatry. Time after time there was treachery in Israel. And time after time God watched over it until he finally got so tired of it he couldn't stand it any longer and he, he had the Assyrians come in and take them off and scatter them all over and the Assyrians took over that land north of Jerusalem. Well, unfortunately, the same thing happened in Judah, isn't, isn't it? They became corrupt, and they also did the same thing. God finally had to have Nebuchadnezzar come in and take them. They came back. They built another temple after the Solomon's temple was destroyed. But still, because of the sin of idolatry, these people had a tremendous blessing in that they had the God who created them, the God of Israel, the God who had brought them out, and they perverted it through their sinful idolatries. Paul ended up in a place uh, kind of like America, filled with the American idol. <laughs> Filled with the Hollywood idols, filled with the, the idols of sports, filled with all the idols that are all around, filled with so much that it was interesting that he <clears throat> stirred in his spirit because of what he saw. He was, it's in Acts, the 17th chapter, and he was in Athens. And he'd been preaching and teaching. And while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit, verse 16, was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Wholly given to idolatry. Idols everywhere. All kinds of idols every place. Therefore he disputed in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him, and some said, what will this babbler say? Others some, he seems to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Isn't it interesting that we live in a society beginning to be more and more like that? We've got a lot of philosophers who were denying that there is a God and philosophizing around even the society that we have and making the most profane things completely devoid of any wisdom and knowledge of God or anything. And this society is becoming more and more like the old Roman and Greek societies. And they took him and brought him into Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof you speak is. For you bring certain strange things to our ears, we would know, therefore, what these strange things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were 
there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. And Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar to the inscription, this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. I think in this society we may see that happen someday. They will squelch the truth down so much that somebody walks up and, oh, I didn't know anything about that. And I think it's happening to some degree today. If you bring this message and this truth to somebody, wow, that's so different. Because it's been so perverted. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwells not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he gives all uh, to all life and breath and all things, and has made one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might uh, feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being as certain also as our own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like gold or silver or stone graved by art and man's devices. And you can imagine, he was stirred because he saw all these images, all these different things. And of course, they were so filled with idolatry there in, in Greece. It was just such a perversion. And Paul says, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he has given assurance unto all men in that he has raised him from the dead. And that was a powerful witness to these idolaters, these pagans that lived in, in Athens, Greece. And of course there were some that were listening to Paul and probably were converted. But this group of philosophers, they were, it was a, a totally different situation there. He had to bring that message to them. Jude, just a few more verses here at the, at the finish. Sometimes, you know, in all the years I've been in the church, I've heard about that return of Christ, the turn of the end. But as I see the society that we're in today, and especially as much as most people reject God and just go about their way and live their their idolatrous way. It seems like that has be, is getting much closer just because of the sins, the moral attitude of the people of the world that we live in, the, the society of America that 
It's very sad. In the 17th verse of Jude, because there's only one chapter, he ends with this encouragement. And I want to encourage all of us that we look to God and, and you know if we have things that are our idols that we put them away in this final age and that we worship God in the way that he wants us to worship him as we hear every Sabbath about those things. And we come on the Sabbath, his day that he created. And I think God is pleased when he sees his people come to worship him on the day that he set aside. You're blessed. He says, but beloved, remember you the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Well, these are words of encouragement. In, the de in, in, in maybe trying times are coming upon us. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now in him that is able to keep you from falling and to prevent your you and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen.